Hello and welcome to Show Me The Money, the podcast that looks at the business side of movies and TV with me, Jess Robinson, and the wonderful Stephen Follows. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing good, thank you. Back in London, which is a lot colder than Nepal, but I'm getting used to it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have got three uh, really interesting stories this week, Um, and I'm just going to get right on with the first one. Story number one, the man in charge of Sony's international TV business says he wants to turn it into the biggest drama studio in Britain. Tell me more, Stephen. Well... I, he says he wants to. I want to do that as well. He's got a better <laughs> chance of doing it than I do. But uh, yeah, no, so this is Wayne Garvey. He's the president of Sony Pictures Television International. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he was speaking at MIT TV, which is a conference that happens every year in April in Cannes, in the same, actually the same buildings that the film festival is going to happen in next month. And it's where the TV industry gets together and they, they talk a lot and they buy and they sell rights. And I think they drink even more. Uh, and uh, he was... Yeah, so he was talking about his plans and he was on stage with Jane Tranter, who's the CEO of, of Bad Wolf, which is a, a Welsh production company that Sony's just bought. So what, was the, what, what this was all about was their commitment, Sony's commitment to producing a lot more drama. They already produce a lot of drama uh, mm-hmm. TV and they're trying to, yeah, drama TV, not just drama in life. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, they, yeah, they've gone on acquisitions. They've, been, they've bought lots of production companies over the years and so they own, they now own Bad Wolf that, that, does his dark materials and the next season of doctor who they own 11 productions which is the name rather than 11 productions which sure. produce sex education uh, and I then love left that. yeah yeah left bank that do the crown as mm. well so they sony produce through directly and indirectly through their subsidiaries a lot of content and they're trying to ramp up even more drama productions and and in the uk as their base for the world because there's this huge demand for content like, you know, partly lockdown, partly all the streaming, because Sony supplies a lot of the streaming services with content. And we're currently in this kind of mad boom of content uh, where there's, I mean, there was this, I think it was the Hollywood Reporter did uh, a study where they were looking at last year in 2021, mm. how many scripted shows were on US TV and streaming. So I'm going to ask you to guess. So yes, here's, here's the rules. It's English language, so it doesn't include things like Squid Game. Okay. Uh, And it's only like dramas. So it's not daytime TV. It's not um, kids shows. And what they're looking for is how many series, how many shows Shows, are in the one year uh, available on TV and streaming services. And they call them scripted shows. So not reality, not the kind of stuff you watch. This is stuff with scripts. (laughs) No no Housewives of Beverly Hills. No, not this is a script. Okay. Um, How many? How many scripted shows Oh, God, I feel like this is going to be the most stupid guess in the world. I'm going to say 300. You know what? That's not a stupid... I mean, you're wrong, but that's not a stupid guess. <laughs> what, what is it? 559. Which that's is- not a stupid guess. I that's- thought it was going to be... Okay, well done. The order of magnitude is correct. Like, it wasn't six and it wasn't 6,000. No. Um, but that was like a 13% jump from the previous year. And it's the most there's ever been. And prior in 2019, everyone was saying, oh, we've hit peak TV. There's more and more, you know, there's never going to be any more shows in this. And actually, I don't know if it will continue to rise or not, but it's certainly all the signals look like it might because everyone is just watching so much content. And then you've got Apple and uh, Amazon on the rise. You've got mm-hmm. Netflix trying to grow. Disney Plus mm-hmm. is creating all this content. So there's this huge boom. And then the other half of what he was saying was that 
he wants to be the biggest drama studio in Britain. And that's even like harder because we're in this boom at the moment in Britain with production that we referred to last week, where there's just so much being shot here. And a lot of it is high, what they call high end TV. So as long as it costs more than a million pounds per hour of broadcast television, it's classified as high end television. So it's not high end as in classy. Um, it's high, although a lot of it in Britain is things like Downton Abbey and the crown, which is quite classy, but, um, but yeah, it's, so there's this boom going on in Britain, which is then causing like more and more productions to come here. And we're starting to turn productions away as well. There are a couple of major movies that tried to film in Britain, but just couldn't get, they can't get like, into a studio. No, they can't get into the studio. They can't get the staff. There, there was one production that, um, I was talking to somebody about recently that was saying that, uh, one of the things that's happened when there's so few crew is that the rates go through the roof. And so people are being offered 30, 40% more than they normally would. Mm-hmm. And the gaffer had quit. The gaffer is the person in charge of the lights and the electricity and things like that on set. Mm-hmm. They quit and they couldn't find a replacement. They called 93 different other gaffers, all of whom were busy. And so the production had to shut down for four weeks at a cost of over a million pounds for the sake of like a very significant role. A gaffer is an important role, obviously. Yeah. But it's just one of many roles. And so, yeah, there's there's equipment shortages, crew shortages, like you said, studio shortages. And um, all of this is related to, to this boom in production in the UK. Amazing. Yeah, so we've got Shepparton Studios being hired out by Amazon. Yes, that's right. Yes, exactly. And so they just, Amazon have just done a 10-year deal with Shepparton, wow. which is quite long for the film industry. The film yeah. industry tends to have quite short time horizons but they've been trying to i mean everyone has been trying to hire studios and it's been getting harder and harder and and there was even an interesting situation at long cross which mm-hmm. i think is the one where the bbc used to shoot top gear and they also have you know not just the racetracks but they also have you know studio space and yeah. um Call the Midwife had been there for eight seasons, but Netflix came in. I was going to say under the cover of darkness, but I think they probably <laughs> did it during the day. But they came in very stealthy and they offered a lot of money. And Longcross took, you know, just basically said to Call the Midwife, Call the Midwife, you can't film here anymore because Netflix have already taken it out. So Netflix have obviously, and Amazon and Disney are all looking at the long term of this. And they're saying, right, if we're going to have increased production, if we're going to have to fight for studio space, uh, every single production, we might as well, and we, we've also got deep pockets. Let's mm-hmm. let's really commit to this, and so they they've committed long term to the UK, and so there's a few things where, like, um, for example, there's a new one being built between Slough and Basingstoke, classy places, yeah, yeah uh, sexy called, places, yeah, called Shinfield Studios, and they've built four stages, and they're going to build another fourteen, but those four that they've just finished have already been hired out by Disney. So wow. the second they're finishing something, like you, you, you know, you, you, you finish the building one day and you're like, right, that's a studio finish. You go home, you come back the next day and you find that there's a streamer squatting in there. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, <laughs> that's what's happening. And Shepard and like you said, it's been, you know, they've done this long-term deal and, but they're also doing this huge expansion. So it's going to double the size. It's, and it's going to be, there's going to be 17 sound stages, which is a lot. Incredible. Yeah. And making it, it's the second largest in the world um, when they finish all of this in a few years. So it's kind of insane how much people are investing in this long-term you know, infrastructure in the UK. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting for the job market and the jobs that it's going to create, but um, difficult for independent films? 
Yeah, totally. Because um, what often happens is that there's this informal one for you, one for us kind of rule, which is just an informal way people describe it. But what they mm. basically mean is that quite often uh, film crew will work on a, and this happens for cast as well, they'll work on big productions they don't care that much about, but they're being paid well and it's good for their career. And then they might come and work with an up-and-coming filmmaker or team or they, for less money but with more artistic control or whatever, and they kind of balance that. But if you're constantly being offered huge amounts of steady work mm. you can't really go off and do this other work and so and also the same equipment that would have been used to film some of these independent productions would otherwise go to be filmed in disney productions or whatever so independent producers are really struggling yeah. they can't get the cast and crew they can't get the equipment and so it's great for the econo the economy of the of the uk mm -hmm. uh, and it's great for the film training and for the people being employed but there is this worry that the independent sector just isn't being able, getting a fair shake at using all the all the fancy tools and you know using all the people, so it's yeah. I mean, it, it's un unregulated. There's nothing we can do about it. But it is um, whether it's a good or bad thing. I guess depends on who you are and where you sit, really. Yeah. Wow, exciting. We'll have to see how that pans out. But um, I'm excited about all of the the new productions and things. I mean, I'm working my way through Netflix. I thought I'd completed it, but. <laughs> there are a the couple end. more things. Yeah. Well done, you finished Netflix. I know, God, that, I've nearly done it. That would be depressing. But it is funny. Like I was trying to keep up with new shows on on things like Disney Plus, and at some point mm -hmm. it just broke me, and I was like, I can't do it. And now I'm so far behind <laughs> that I'm just out of the loop of so many of these shows. I can't imagine you watching Disney Descendants or Better Nate Than Ever. or you know, No, those, I, I did watch um, Ted Lasso, but that was very late after everyone else. And so when I went around saying how amazing it was, everyone else rolled their eyes and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did that with Succession, which I'm obsessed with. I love it. I love it. <laughs> anyway, our second story, the UK government says it wants to press ahead with privatising Channel 4. And by the way, I think that a lot of people wouldn't have realised uh, in the first place that Channel 4 wasn't a commercial uh, channel anyway. But um, what are the effects on the UK TV and, and film industry? And um, yeah, how, how, how is that deci decision going to affect everything? Yeah, well, it's, um, I mean, the thing is, it, we, we own it. So you own a TV station. Uh, I don't mm. know if you want to put this on your CV or your LinkedIn page. I didn't page. know this. What yeah. do I get out of that exactly? Um, not a lot, but you haven't oh. turned up to any of the shareholders meetings, so you can't uh -huh. have complain. So. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, it is, it's publicly owned. So it, it was set up in, uh, 1982 as I was, mm -hmm. um, although that was set up by the Thatcher government. I, they shouldn't have as much to do with setting me up. Um, but yeah, it was set up in 1982 by the Thatcher government and it, it has, the, it is publicly owned, but it is commercial, meaning that it doesn't get any money from the taxpayer. The idea is that it, self-sufficient so about 90 91 percent of its income is through advertising and the rest is through commercial deals and things so you know we, we you and i don't have to pay to to view it and, mm. and for those listeners outside the uk so you've got the bbc one and bbc two that are funded by the license fee which is uh pretty much a tax you have to pay 159 pounds a year something like that if you watch tv at all any channel uh, but that goes to pay for the bbc's like film and tv ITV, which is the third channel, that's commercial. Uh, channel 4 is this quasi-owned one, which is, sorry, public, quasi-public, as in it is fully publicly owned, but it is commercial. And then Channel 5 is a commercial company as well. Um, and so th the governments, governments have been talking 
almost since it was set up about privatizing it. Uh, it was set up with a very particular mission, which was to be different from mm -hmm. the three other channels that were there before. So its whole mission is to be a bit weird um, and to be a bit different and <laughs> offer different kinds of things and do things oh. differently. And so... It like, definitely does. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It has some weird shows. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, like, in the, uh, I was trying to cite this, and because I, I was told this by a reliable source, but I couldn't find a public source to back it up. But So take this as, as informed gossip. But my understanding is that in the early years of Channel 4, it used to mm. broadcast a lot of Welsh language shows because half a million people in Britain speak Welsh, and so it's, but it's a sizable minority and it's not going to commercially make sense, but it does make sense for a um, a channel like Channel Four with its remit, and they used to have these late night shows in in, um, in Welsh. And the viewing figures in some in some nights were larger than the number of people who speak Welsh in Britain. I love it. Yeah, so it must be drunk people, right? There's nobody else late night watching Welsh content without speaking Welsh. Um, but no one would make that. There doesn't. There's no commercial reality for that. But there is like a a, a cultural mission to that, right? You know, it's yeah. a language of the UK. It's important to service all sorts of people. Um, and Channel 4 are also a lot of the vanguard of LGBTQ plus yeah. content. And, and they, they also broadcast the Paralympics and, and things like yeah. that. So they, they've done a lot of things that are a social good. Um, but the, the counter argument, and there have been people talking about trying to privatize it for years. The Cameron government got quite close in 2016. Um, and the, the argument is that they're quite limited in what they can do and how they can raise money. And actually, if they were a private company... First of all, the sale of the, the 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 actual sale price, which I'll come back mm. to in a minute, that could be used and given to the TV industry. And then, secondly, they would be free to raise money and have investment and do all sorts of things that they're actually not allowed to do right now, which would allow them to compete with Netflix and Amazon, whatever. Which at the moment they struggle to because they actually, despite having a you know a big impact, they're not actually as big as or anywhere near as big as these other companies. So, yeah. I mean, how much it's worth? Who knows? I mean, what do I don't you know. think? Is there a ballpark figure? Hundred thousand? Could I? Could I maybe <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll chip in. <laughs> I'll chip in. Um, well, I don't know. Like, I've seen estimates, reliable estimates, between about let's say six hundred million pounds and one point five billion, which is quite wow. a broad. I guess it depends whether Foxtons are doing the valuation sure. or not. In which case, it might be six billion. <laughs> maybe but, they'll um, waive the commission. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's you know so that's about a, let's say let's say it's a billion pounds. I, you and I can say informally, shake, shake, let's do a handshake deal. Let's say it's worth a billion. Yeah, like that's about what the market cap at the moment of Royal Mail is. So that the previously private, uh, pre, you know, the publicly set up postal mm -hmm. service, mm -hmm. um, and it's about a third of what Marks and Spencers is. See, I, I was looking for institutions. Is um, it? Yeah. Even with their Peruna range? <laughs> even even with the amount you spend on their Peruna range, I presume. Hilarious. But, so that's like, so £1 billion is about $1.4 billion. What's network? What do you reckon network Netflix is worth? I can say it. Netflix. Uh, so, okay. Between £600 million and £1.2 uh, Okay. Netflix is worth... 1.2 billion. I love the idea of doing sums now, are you, on the back of a napkin? Well, I'm not. I'm not doing any sums. I'm actually just looking out the window and repeating one <laughs> phrase. But I think... So Channel 4 is worth $1.3 billion. Let's assume that. Oh, okay. okay 1.3. Okay. What is Netflix worth? 
five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's not as good as guess as the previous guess. No, oh, it's God. about $166 billion. Whoa! Um, yeah. That makes my head explode. Yeah. So the thing is, the idea that Channel 4 would be able to compete with them is, I mean, they could compete whether they would be able to battle. But, I mean, so Channel 4 itself don't actually make the programs. They they actually, all their productions are made by other independent film, TV production companies. So whereas Netflix it's, itself, you know, can, can produce its own content if it wants to. But mm. Channel 4 is spending about... 660 million pounds a year making f- content mm-hmm. and the crown cost about between half and a third of that one season of the crown so we're already into the i don't know fifth sixth season of the crown or something like mm-hmm. that um so they've already netflix have already spent more on the crown than channel four spends every year on content so that's incredible yeah i mean next year netflix will probably spend about a billion dollars in the uk just in the uk making content so it channel four can compete to some degree but so the so the the, the big argument is should it be mm. protected and keep its cultural remit or mm. should it be sold and from a commercial point of view if you're purely commercial well, of course it should be sold this is an asset that we have we can get a good price mm-hmm. and also um we can they're, they're free to live in the commercial world that we all live in but you know but culturally like they're not going to produce the same content because why would they? The whole point was that Channel Four makes content nobody wants to watch. Yeah. No, sorry, sorry, Naked nobody wants to fund. Sex yeah, okay, <laughs> just porn, basically. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the idea is that they're making f- content that other people aren't wanting to make, not wanting to watch. So what that means is that we, if we do cash in and and, and do whatever they do with that money, the problem is that n- no one's going to make that kind of content because you can guarantee that if this content was profitable, Netflix mm. would be making it. So. I don't know. I, I feel like I don't know why we would sell it. Um, and I worry about, again, the independents that are making all these shows of Channel 4 and, and all the fringe audiences and, and niche audiences and niche content that if Netflix, Netflix can make it tomorrow if they wanted to. They could make mm-hmm. the same content that Channel, Channel 4 doesn't have any special kind of um, area that no one else can compete in. The reason mm. that their stuff is different is because they're trying to be different. Yeah. They're trying to be the weird one. And that's kind of cool. I love but, them. Yeah. What show would you miss most then? Um, well, I've got to say the last leg because I'm on that quite a lot. Uh, so I would I would miss the little dribble of money I get from that. And really, it is a dribble. <laughs> um, uh, and I would miss Bake Off because Bake Off is um, the loveliest show that exists apart from Mrs. Doubtfire. It's my, if I'm ill, it's Mrs. Doubtfire and then Bake Off. See, it's I've, so comforting. I've never watched a full episode. You have to. It's the best of humanity in that tent. <laughs> I promise you. They're in a competition, but they're so uncompetitive that they help each other ice cakes. And, you know, it's just gorgeous. It's sweet. It's friendly. Um, and I love it. So it's basically Channel 4. I mean, Channel 4 is a, yeah, is a proper commercial no company. I don't, I, yeah. Okay, well, Bake Off After Dark. Um, <laughs> see, you know what? I could think of a worse title, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to change the B in Bake Off. <laughs> but, um, but no, like the idea is that, that that kind of show is about, from what you said, humanity and supporting each other and doing things that aren't necessarily like cutthroat and commercial because actually we're all humans, let's be nice. And, I, yeah. and arguably that's the main reason we should keep Channel 4, not not for being soft, but because do we really want every single creator of culture 
to be just doing things for the commercial money? Or do we want to have stories around us and in our culture and telling stories about ourselves? Because that's what culture is, We're mm. stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Do we really want all of that to be dominated by, you know, US streamers? Because that's the other thing. Whoever buys it might be a US, probably will be a US studio. Um in the 2016 review, when the Cameron government was looking at selling it, they did a report where they said the most likely purchaser was probably going to be BT, oh. which is the one of the telephone companies that were privatized here. But yeah. that doesn't seem very likely now. Now it seems more likely it would be, I don't know, Warner Brothers or, you know, How some likely US- do you think it will be? I are mean, people fighting it? Yes. I mean, there's a big backlash and there's a lot of people who are saying, uh, you know, there's a lot of stars and famous people who are saying, look, the content that I've made for the show, I wouldn't have made, I wouldn't be able to make anywhere else. It's been an mm-hmm. incubator of talent. Mm-hmm. The government seem quite keen to do it. Um, and they seem to have edited their arguments slightly rather than just saying, oh, we can make some money. They're trying to say that it, it's, it's helping Channel 4. So uh, there's a quote. So the culture secretary, Nadine Doris, said, mm-hmm. um, Channel 4 rightly – this is an impression of her, by the way, just not a very yes. good one. And we're not all professional impressionists here. Um, <laughs> Channel 4 rightly holds a cherished, place, a cherished place in British life, and I want that to remain the case. I've come to the conclusion that the government ownership is holding Channel 4 back from competing against streaming giants like Netflix and Amazon. So she's basically using the argument that she's helping Channel 4, and I guess that's where the battle will be fought, which is can we can we have a conversation about what is best for Channel 4? And I think this feels a little bit like a couple divorcing and talking in really front of does. the kid, what's yeah. in best for the kid, and the kid's yeah. just looking at you like, why Why are you talking about me like this? Yeah. But, so I don't know, who knows what will happen. They got, they got very close with the Cameron government, but then it didn't happen. Uh, I, I, it may, maybe it'll keep happening. Maybe it's a ploy. You know, it's difficult to know mm. with all politicians, but certainly the, the current group we have and, the, you know, who knows? So without, you know, without supporting or denying any of them, it's difficult to know what the outcome will be. But there's certainly a strong cultural backlash um, in the industry. And so we'll have to watch the story quite carefully and see, see what happens. Yeah, I'm super interested to follow this one. Very, very cool. Um, Our third and final story for this week is Oscar Isaac, the star of Marvel's latest streaming show, which I haven't seen yet, Moon Knight, is expected to show up and show down with other characters in the future. But there's no guarantee that that's going to happen because he hasn't signed a long term deal. What do you know about this? Well, this is what I find so interesting about this is if this was a story like five, 10 years, maybe let's say 15 years ago, hmm. movie star doesn't agree to long contract. You'd say, well, no, of course, of course he didn't. You know, <laughs> it's a job to job thing. Maybe he's got a deal for a sequel, but that's it. But actually what's happened over the last decade or so is that Marvel have sort of redefined how the power play between these huge streaming not just sorry, not streaming, these huge studios, Marvel mm-hmm. is owned by Disney, mm-hmm. and also all of the stars that are in them, because they started, I mean, the first um, film in the what they currently call the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU, was Iron Man. And it was made as a sort of standalone film. And I think they had hopes that it would turn into this universe, because the universe, the, the comic book series has a universe in it. But mm-hmm. uh, they were hoping it would. But it was only with the next few films they started to do more. And, and then they started to tie in the actors into deals. So Chris Evans, who plays Captain America, signed on for six films. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson signed on for nine, which was a huge number, although a lot of his film, a lot of his appearances are sort of essentially cameos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brie Larson's did a, did a seven-year picture deal. 
And so they started to sign these long deals that allowed us to have uh, characters popping up across different movies. And that we've grown to like that, and it worked. It's a nice little, it's a nice little um, bonus to have this sort of idea that you're going back to a series. You know, you go see a new movie, but there's that character you liked from this other thing, and they can pull in different characters to have different, um, you know, moments because that character is very different to this one. Um, but what they've been a victim of their own success almost because these made so much money, and because the deals are actually quite restrictive, they're kind of forcing you into appearing in a certain number of movies. Oscar Isaacs, who's a very good and very successful actor and had just mm. been on in the Star Wars series, just didn't want to do that and said, well, I'll do one season and then we'll see where we are. And what's interesting is not so much that he said that because that's fairly predictable. What was interesting is that Marvel said yes, because yeah. the Marvel of 10 years ago would have said, no, we want the right to have you in X number of movies and TV series and stuff. So it might be a sort of early sign that they're changing the way they're seeing their talent negotiations and contracts and loosening things up in order to have someone like him, even for only one season, arguably that would be better than nothing. Um, but what's, what I find most interesting about this is that this is not, it's not exactly the same, but it's pretty similar to what has happened almost a hundred years ago. So if you go back to the whole studio system, so in the 1930s sort of and 40s, there were five major film studios and they had they owned cinemas, which they had a mm -hmm. lot of vertical integration. So they owned the cinemas and they owned the production and the, sort of the whole chain. And they also had loads of stars on salary. So the, the actors would be signed to a five or 10 year deal, paid on an annual basis, a little bit of bump for each movie, but basically they were staff, P-A-Y-E, uh -huh. not freelance. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, what that meant was that the studio could basically say, right, you're in this movie. And they just have to say yes or no. They just have to say yes. They couldn't say no. And also, if you pissed off the wrong person, you just wouldn't be in any movies anymore. Your career would be over. So it was very manipulative. Yeah. But the, the US government took a whole load of them to court. And uh, it was uh, and Paramount Pictures, but the others as well. But it's known as the Paramount Decree because it's sort of, they were the first on the, on the listing. Mm -hmm. And um in 1948, they basically, the government basically said, look, this is antitrust, and they won the court case. So they had to sell the cinemas, and they had to loosen up their employment contracts with their actors. And so no studios own the cinemas the way that they used to, but they do own their own streaming platforms. So right. Moon Knight is only available on Disney+. Plus. So although it's not a cinema, arguably this is complete vertical integration, where Marvel, owned by Disney, so let's say Disney. Disney own the comics, they own the rights, they make the film, they make the content, the TV or the film, and they own the only place that it's shown in this case. So, and then they also had these sort of strong uh, star deals. So it's interesting to see the same things echoing. It's not exactly the same in the sense I'm not suggesting that Marvel or Disney are being as manipulative as the studios were back in the 40s. Mm -hmm. But still, it's interesting to see the same kind of thing happening again and again. Yeah. Very interesting. Do you think that that's going to be a, a trend now? Then it's gonna it's gonna yeah, be well, these, a, a sort of a revolution. Well, these things are cyclical because how much stars are paid is just down to power dynamics, and so yeah. you start seeing in the in the sort of eighties and nineties stars earning huge amounts of money, and then there was this idea that we were post stars, and maybe the studios would have more money, and you know things like Aladdin has Will Smith, but the main stars are not famous actors, mm -hmm. and. Whereas when it comes to the Marvel, they're able to have stars, but also lock them in. But there have been some interesting problems with this, which is that, yeah. so 
before Marvel was owned by Disney, mm-hmm. they licensed out the right to make Spider-Man to Sony. And so Sony made the uh, Maguire films, the um, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I've seen mm-hmm. so many Spider-Men in my life. That's how I define <laughs> how old I am. You remember the old Spider-Men? And then I can't begin to tell you how many Batman I've seen. Um, <laughs> I remember when Batman was in black girl. and white. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So they, so Sony had the rights to make Spider-Man, and part of the deal was they had to keep making. So if you have the rights in these particular contracts to to make the films, you have to have a certain you have to release one every certain number of years, or you lose the right to make them. And so Sony were making a lot of money. It was hugely successful. These first the Maguire films, and then when they had Andrew Garfield as well as the Amazing Spider-Man. So they kept making them, but. Then Disney bought Marvel and Marvel got the cinematic universe and they would want Spider-Man to be in the cinematic universe, but they kind of locked in with this Sony deal. So Disney and Sony had a conversation, probably a series of conversations, and they ended up um, agreeing that Spider-Man could appear in um, Captain America Civil War. That was the one, the first one that had that in there. Um, and But then as, as Spider-Man was making more money and as they were both, both parties were thinking we should get a bigger cut of this, um, they were they just they couldn't they couldn't agree for the most recent one, Spider-Man Nowhere No uh, No Way Home. Oh, yeah, a couple of years ago it was announced. Uh, Spider-Man will no longer be in the cinematic universe. It's just done, and there was a huge uproar from the fans. Yeah, yeah, and I have no idea what's really going on. I I'm not a conspiracy <laughs> theorist, so I kind of believe that the Sony and Disney couldn't agree, and then they just saw how much more money they could make and look like the good guys once the fans objected but there are people who believe that this was all a ploy anyway to prove fan base but anyway they got back together and they sort of all right let's let's see if we can sort this out and i think they both basically get five percent of each other's um production so when spider-man's in one of the mcu films disney uh, sorry sony will get five percent of the gross or net or whoever it's done and vice versa when some of the other characters appear um which is kind of interesting and and if you want to this is this is how nerdy you can go. So yes, when, uh, when <laughs> s- let's, let's test your ne- let's test your nerdy uh, um, credentials here. Okay. So uh, when about five six years ago, Sony yeah. Pictures were hacked allegedly by the North Koreans. Um, they dumped they downloaded many 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 gigabytes of files and just dumped them on the internet. And WikiLeaks got them and organized them. So you can go on a WikiLeaks site now and search all the files and all the emails and stuff. It's quite you know it's wow. quite invasive. One of the things that surfaced in that is the actual agreement between Marvel and Sony, where it defines the full licensing agreement. Uh, And it has some interesting things, like it defines Spider-Man as a white male uh, heterosexual. Right. Which I'm not sure they would do today. And since then, they have also, (laughs) like, if you watch um, uh, the really good, what's it called? Uh, Spider-Man. Multiverse. Yeah, Spider-Verse. That's a Spider-Verse. Yes, that's so good. good. That's got many spider uh, peoples uh, in it and and not even peoples. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it. But um, that has more diverse Spider-Men in it. Um, But at the time, it's locked down. And in there, it defines how what Spider-Man is, what Spider-Man isn't, how many films they have to make. And these agreements, as I said, are quite standard in this kind of stuff. And they produce, we're quite lucky that, that this has produced good Spider- Spider-Man films and it's produced good MCU stuff because it can have the weirdest of outcomes. So prior to this, uh, Marvel had, they have a, a, a franchise called the Fantastic Four. Yes. And most of those films have not been fantastic, but there have been four people in them. So you can't, you know, they're not completely wrong. But prior to that, there was a, a famous 
low budget producer who had the rights to make them, but the deal was expiring. And he had this, I think this was in the nineties and he had to make a film with the fantastic four, or he would lose the right to make future fantastic four movies. And so he made one that was designed never to be released. It was just made to be made. And it's the trailer of it for it is is on YouTube. Uh, I think it's like the mid nineties. I can't remember, but it's sort of you know. I'm sure you put Fantastic Four nineties in there. Uh, can we you can put find this the, in the Let's put this in the notes because I, I I think everyone should have to watch this. We'll do a viewing party, yeah. Sure. And it's it's amazing because it's it's not only is it nineties, so it's pre a lot of the visual effects we have now, but also they didn't spend any money on the visual effects anyway, and so it's very very janky, <laughs> very very ropey. But it's interesting how that it was made contractually and. Mm. I don't know if the key cast and crew were told that or not, because on the one hand, you, you might think, oh, I've been cast in this new movie and I'm this superhero. But actually, <laughs> you later decide, discover that there's £4.50 to make it. Or whether they were told, look, you know, come and film this. You can put it on your showreel, maybe, but no <laughs> one is going to see this. This is being made for contractual reasons. And uh, yeah, so but sometimes you get that. Now, that hasn't been what's happened with this, but it it can happen like that. But um but yeah, well, actually, I, wow. I did. I haven't seen. Go back to your question. I haven't seen Moon Knight yet, but I have watched the trailer, and uh, it's all all of it set in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't shot in London, and I wanted to see okay. where was it. Where do you reckon it was shot? Okay, I think was it in the Kent theme park that's never going to open? <laughs> <laughs> no, but. It was a callback to last week, as I think you figured out. Yes, it, <laughs> it was in Hungary. You're right. Wow, so, we were right. So last That's week we were so talking cool. about. Yeah, isn't it? And the thing is that I, when I, I watched the trailer, and I didn't spot that it wasn't London because it looks very London. Like, but I, what I did, the reason my um, spider sense was tingling, why I had the, my Peter <laughs> tingle, was because it looked so expansive that I was thinking, wow, to actually shoot some of those scenes, all of those scenes in London would be kind of expensive. And I I know that that they shot a little bit outside the National Gallery. I'm sure they Mm -hmm. really shot there. Uh, But I was wondering whether some of the other more pedestrian kind of shots that were quite wide would be in London. So I Googled it. And yeah, they they shot on sound stages in in Hungary. And then they shot on the streets in Budapest, where they made it look like London. And there's, and we were talking about this last week, there is an example of something that it's an American production yeah. But they shot in Hungary because and made it look like London for the story, which is kind of bonkers until you're the accountant when you do all the numbers and you're like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's so, very cool. Yeah. Ah, oh, I'm gonna. I might start that one tonight. Um, that has been really. That's been such a fascinating conversation today, um, and uh, I hope you listeners enjoyed it too. Thanks so much for listening. We're back every week. If you like Show Me The Money, please give it a follow in your podcast app, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, share it with your family and friends. Leave us a five-star review, please, if you have time. And um, if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, then feel free to just email us at showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. That's showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. Ask anything and Stephen will answer it, unless it's a silly question and then I might. Uh, I'm that's glad you it. said that. That's, that's what I was going to add. If it's a silly <laughs> enough question, Jess will answer it. I'll go and for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you for tuning in and thanks, Stephen. That was really, really brilliant. Have a lovely life until we see you next. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Bye.